episode of Papa Bear Hikes. As all of you know, on Papa Bear Hikes, we are always looking for ways to just get people outdoors. Um, fire you up, make you feel like you want to get out there and enjoy. And here we are, we're in the best time of the year to do it. It's the summer. And I especially feel it's important we get children out there, get our kids out there doing it. Today we have with us K.S. Brooks, also known as Kat. Uh, she's an award-winning, best-selling author of over 30 titles. She's a professional photographer and photojournalist. She's the executive director of IndiesUnlimited.com. She's an adjunct faculty member at the Community College of Spokane, where she teaches classes on publishing, writing, and photographer. Kat, welcome to Papa Bear Hikes. Thank you, Papa Bear. Thanks for having me. So start off by telling us a little bit about yourself. Oh, uh, well, right now I live in uh, the corner of northeastern Washington, uh, out in the woods, in the wilderness, which is, you know, just, I was born in New York City, but I always just wanted to be out in the wilderness. Uh, And so I'm living the life. It's been fabulous. I currently um, am the chief copy editor and photojournalist for two local newspapers. i teach at the college. I drive around in my convertible and look for interesting things. Like I just got back from a uh, photo expedition to the Washington coast through uh, the Olympic Peninsula rainforest, where I photographed the bioluminescent algae at night. And that was amazing. Uh, So I'm I'm feel pretty, pretty lucky uh, that I get to do what I love. Yeah, you know, there's the old saying, if you enjoy what you're doing, you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah. Uh, and that's very true, right? Yeah, uh, yeah so you've, you've been on both sides of this country. You've been able to enjoy the Northeast, and now you're out in the Northwest, and I've only visited the Northwest. Uh, just to let everybody know, uh, Kat and I have a, a mutual acquaintance. Well, not an acquaintance for me. I raised him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Schumann, also known as Chris out in uh, – out in his neck of the woods. Um, the two of you are friends and, uh, yes. I'm, th- I'm thankful he, uh, he put you in touch with me so we can have this interview. Yeah, me too. Uh, so, uh, you know, what intrigues me, one of the things we, we've talked about, we were talking about before we started the interview, you've written books, you call them activity books for all ages, uh, for, to, for it's their outdoor activities or with the national parks. Tell me a little bit about this. Uh, well, <laughs> It was kind of by accident how the whole thing started. Um, I wrote my first children's book in 2005, and that started because my neighbor's children were beating my trees with bats, baseball bats, and I thought maybe if they understood the importance of trees, they might not do that anymore, so I wrote a book. And so um, in 2008, I drove cross-country with um, Mr. Pish, who, uh, and Pish is short for Pisher. It's uh, Yiddish, meaning little troublemaker. Uh, I did not name the dog. I kind of inherited the dog when he was about eight years old. Um, And he was an amazing little guy. And he was a rough coach at Russell Terrier. And he went cross country with us um, from Maryland, where I was currently living, to Northeastern Washington State. And a friend of mine told me that I should write a book about my feelings as I traveled across the country. And I was like, good Lord, that will be the most boring book ever. 
But I thought through the eyes of the dog, that would be far more interesting. And hopefully it would inspire kids to get outside, to be curious about what's around them, curious about other places. And so Postcards from Mr. Pish was born. And basically each book, uh, and there's four of them in the postcard series, uh, it's basically he writes a postcard from everywhere he goes and full color photographs accompany that. And I found out after I started doing this with pictures that children actually learn better from photographs than they do from drawings, which I had no idea. Um, I tend to do smart things by accident a lot, <laughs> so it, it made sense. But uh, those books, um, I've got, uh, I call them like teacher-approved worksheets in the back because I have um, a lot of friends who are teachers, and I ask them to uh, just look at the books and say, hey, here, here are the questions that I come up with um, to spark conversation um, and, uh, and things of interest that maybe they could use in their classes and they check those out and, and, you know, either add or subtract or, or whatever. And some of the sheets have coloring on them and, but most of them are discussion points. So that's been, uh, that's been really neat. But the activity book, which I call in all ages because I have all levels of, um, difficulty in the book that was specifically for, the 100 year anniversary of the National Park Service in 2016. And that is called um, Mr. Pish's National Park Centennial Celebration. And, and I thought, you know, it's educational and it's fun for kids, but why should the kids have all the fun? So I put um, some crosswords in there that were a little bit more difficult and some word jumbles and things like that. But uh, those are peppered throughout it along with, you know, coloring sheets and there will be a lesson with whatever they're coloring. Um, so, so that's, that's kind of how that started and then evolved into the activity book. All right. So when we talk about, if you enjoy what you're doing, you're never working, you enjoy traveling, you enjoy the outdoors, and then you turned it into, it sounds like a, a way to have an income to help. I hate using this word, make a living because you yeah. know, work. If you're working, shouldn't be making a living. Going out and having fun, and sorry, I, I have, if you're having fun, you're living. If you're working, right. you're 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 generating money to pay your bills. Exactly. Uh, right. So yeah, you were able to 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 balance that. You were able to find or find, you know maybe even go in the other direction. I'm having a lot of fun traveling and and uh, just making you know do, doing this to the inter you know. Interpretation through you know doing it through the, your, your dog. I think that's yeah. so cool. Oh, uh, thank you. Well, you know, I, I'm I feel kind of bad sometimes because it's sort of deceitful because you have the cutest little white dog ever with one ear up and one ear down, and kids gravitate to him, and then they don't realize they're learning because they're you know having fun and they're laughing he has a sense of humor um and so i use his good looks and his sense of humor to make it really fun for kids but the um <laughs> one thing that that i learned personally from the uh activity book was i went um i moved down to arizona for a year so that i could work on a couple of books down there and 
I went, um, I'm working on a desert adventure book for kids. And so I went over to the New Mexico desert and I climbed uh, Outlaw Rock, which is where Billy the Kid hid out. And um, as I was along the top of the ridge, uh, one of my, I guess I lost my footing somehow. I don't remember how. All I remember was falling forward and seeing my big camera lens going towards the ground. And I was like, that's not going to happen. So I twisted so that my back hit the ground and I felt something, a number of things actually puncture my shoulder. And I said to my friend who, who was helping me uh, drive and, and uh, carry my equipment, I said, um, I believe I've just fallen on a cactus. But the first thing I thought though was, oh my God, I don't have a comb. And the reason I thought that was because the National Park Service recommends that when you hike in the desert, you carry a comb to get the cactus needles out of you if you fall on a cactus. And and that's actually in the book. Um, So that was the first thing I thought of. I didn't have a comb. Um, But yeah, so that was, so I did learn that from the book. (laughs) Luckily, I didn't need a comb because it wasn't that kind of cactus. But yeah, at least I knew that if I couldn't get the needles out, we should go get a comb. Well, yeah, something I've told people is that experience or research isn't a fail safe. It doesn't mean we're not going to forget or we're not going to make mistakes. It may be a little bit more embarrassing for us when we have experience or knowledge and we make the mistakes, but they're still going to be made. We're still, you know, we're still going to. Do those things where you say, how do I, how did I do that? Or how did I forget to bring this with me? Yeah. Been well, there and done that myself. The, the ironic thing about it to me was that I had been researching places that I wanted to go that would be interesting for kids. And so I posted in a national park Facebook group asking about certain areas and if they were safe to travel alone. And um, everybody was really nice except for this one woman who really got on my case about you should just go alone. I camp everywhere by myself. And it's just like (laughs) that the falling on the cactus incident was just, you know, it just drove it home to me that if I had been alone, that would have been really problematic because the really bumpy roads and trying to drive to the nearest what? clinic do you drive to a convenience store and ask people to pull the cactus needles out of your back i I don't know but it just it kind of drove it home that yeah you know when you're out there like that it's good to have someone with you yeah especially in unfamiliar terrain like that um i I really yeah i agree with you i'm going out by myself on my hike in a couple of um, next week but i'm going out in the appalachian trail at a time when there's a lot of people out there if I'm fall, if I fall and I'm on the side of the trail, it wouldn't take long for somebody to pass pass me by and ask if I'm okay or um, to get a message to the next trailhead. So I feel safe doing that by myself. But if I were to go to a place I'm unfamiliar with, um, I, I'm not sure. I'd, I I don't know if I'd feel comfortable by myself. Yeah. So and and actually, that's something that I always stress in the children's books. Um, is Mr. Pish says it's always good to have an adult because they carry things for you. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, um, he always does make sure that, you know, a parent is or, or an adult, I always say adult, because you don't know 
if the parent is the parent or, you know, the guardian or whatever, and, you know, you don't want kids to feel bad if it's not their parent. So I, I usually say adult. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's funny, but it's, it's true. Uh, you know, i when I talk to people about their hiking or taking a backpacking trip with their children and I actually interviewed a, a, a woman has two, has twin daughters. They're now four, but she's had them out there hiking from, from a very early age, you know, not, long distance hiking, but what they can handle age appropriate hikes. And, uh, yeah, it's all about making things enjoyable for them. And the younger they are, they are, the more you're going to need to prepare yourself to say, you know, I'm gonna have to carry some of their stuff. You know, I can maybe have them carry their water bottle, but, but even for a younger child, they're going to get tired of carrying that water bottle eventually. And you're going to be carrying it. Right. And probably carrying them too. <laughs> and eventually you're carrying them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> But that's fabulous to get them outside and into enjoying it and not feeling it's foreign. Yeah, when I've interviewed people who hike with their children, uh, the stories, the consistent theme, I'll say, is the outdoors becomes like a classroom for them. Yeah. It's not like they're on a hike. They're out there learning. And and I know this from my time in Scouts, and especially with younger kids, they just are entertained by, you know, the most innocent things, just, you know, things like just the color of a mushroom or, you know, an interesting looking bush or, you know, seeing an animal or, or an insect. And, and that is so fun to watch as an adult, seeing kids just really intrigued and asking questions about these things out in nature, not sitting in a classroom, reading about it in their science book, but after they're out there experiencing and actually seeing what's happening. Yeah. Watching the lights go on is, is just fabulous. Yeah. Yeah, so I just want to go back here. You, you it sounds like you got your start here in two thousand five with these kids beating your tree with a baseball bat, <laughs> and I'm guessing you were figuring that it was uh, it was safer for you to write a book about it than to grab the baseball bat and chase them away. But, uh... <laughs> well, I did tell them not to do it, and I tried to explain to them why. So then I just thought, you know, what if other kids don't know? You know, so uh, that's why I, I wrote the book and. I think it was Baltimore's Child Magazine called it a, a primer on trees for kids. And, and uh, I was really tickled with that review. But, you know, it's I'd like to see, you know, kids appreciate trees and understand the complexity of what they offer to our ecosystems and to the wildlife. So it was I had a 400 year old oak tree in my yard was 300 300 i think sorry um and so i wrote about that and all the animals that you know depended on that tree and the different reasons why and so uh you know i hope i hope it made a difference somewhere we'll be back after a quick break you ever think about what might be in the water you're drinking every time you fill up your water bottles while you're in the outdoors? I try not to, and I really don't because I use Sawyer water filters. Sawyer filter technology, because of their high standards, every filter is individually tested three times through their process. I've been using their permethrin product for years now to protect me from, well, quite frankly, ticks, and the picaridin to keep the flies at bay. Don't let bad water, insects, or a tick bite cut your trip short or even ruin it. Use Sawyer products. Go to your local outdoor retailer and ask for Sawyer products, whether it's a water filter, insect repellent, they're likely to have it. You can also go to Sawyer's website and read more about these incredible, high-quality products that they offer those of us who enjoy the outdoors. 
yeah, not everybody understands it. And not just kids either. Right. You know, I've, I've seen adults who don't understand it. And you, you have to be patient with them. I, you can't just assume everybody has the same interest or, or knows these things. And uh, it's all you can do. I mean, if, and it's obviously much easier with a child to explain to them, don't hit that tree with a bat because you're damaging it and hurting that tree. And um, then it would be to have that conversation with an adult. Right. Uh, um, and you have a better chance of actually a child retaining it. Uh, but yeah, I think that that's, that's so cool uh, because you know, with the increased number of people that are going out and enjoying the outdoors, one of the perils we're seeing is people not having a, any kind of knowledge of leave no trace, trace ethics, um, yes. you know, think, like what to do with their litter, um, staying on the trail so forth and so on without boring everybody with the seven leave no trace principles. There's a lot of people going out for the first time. who are just not familiar with them. Right. Uh, and so, yeah. And that's the first thing that popped into my head as you were telling this story from 2005. <laughs> well, uh, actually with the, with that sort of in mind, a story that I wrote um, a couple of years ago that I'm waiting for the artist to um, finish his work Um it is it's a Sasquatch story, but basically um, the Sasquatch is teaching kids about the woods and about the animals they'll see there and also like not to litter and not to start fires and things like that. And, it, and it's geared towards much younger children than I normally write for, but I figure it's a good way to start young um, so that kids, you know, who then grow into adults will hopefully be more responsible uh, when they're out in the woods and they won't leave a trace. Well, it's about starting habits at a young age. Right. At a young age, I was told, and this is years before Leave No Trace, when Leave No Trace wasn't even a thought um, or a consideration, I I would go hiking and back and on backpacking trips with my father and, you know, it never threw something on the ground. Right. My father, you know, 1972, he's telling, telling us, you know, anything you bring with you, you bring back out. Go, anything you take out of the car, it goes back to the car. I know. Any, any garbage, any candy wrappers, right. And not, you know, you don't leave anything behind. You're what you bring in, you're bringing out with you. Um, and you know, and those are habits that started at a young age. Uh, you know, another thing I learned at a young age just became a habit and, People weren't even thinking about it in the seventies, but just you know, the people who just randomly cut down branches or trees to start campfires. You know, we teach these kids things at a young age, and I know from my own experience with myself as well as with my own kids, at a young age, that's when it sticks in your head. That's when you have the you have that the the ability to learn and retain information is much wider than it is for for adults. That goes with everything, not just with outdoor activities. I mean, there's been studies that show even learning a language is easier for a young child right. than it is for an adult. Well, and they also say that if you teach children something cool, then they'll teach their parents. Yeah. So, yes, I've heard that too. I've heard yeah. Yeah. Somebody I talked to, uh, I think it was last month, talked about that with the children. This is somebody that's involved in scouts up in the um in upstate New York, out even on on the outskirts of the Adirondacks, talked about you know when you're when you teach these things to the kids they're going home and sharing it with their parents. Right. And if they're out with their parents, they may be likely to tell their parents, Hey, you know, you're not supposed to do that. You know, you know, and be, you know, you know you're not supposed, you know, you're supposed to carry your garbage out with you. You're supposed to stay on the trail. So yeah, it's kind of a, you know, you're, you're 
accomplishing two goals. You may be getting two people taught at the same time. Yeah. yeah, hopefully. Yeah. So you also do outdoor photography, I see. Right? That's a, I seems do. to be a big thing for you. You yeah. uh, had an encounter with a cactus, obviously, while doing outdoor <laughs> to save a lens. So uh, I'd like to talk to you about your outdoor photography. And uh, what, do, do you have an approach you take where you say, I'm going to this area and taking photos? Or are you just kind of out there and say, you know what? That looks like a cool thing to photograph. Um, I... I kind of specialize. Um, Back when I lived in the East, I was really into birds and whales. Um, I lived fairly close to the ocean when I was in Massachusetts, and I'd go out on whale watches every summer. Um, I actually drove to northern uh, Quebec to the Sanguinet Fjord region to try and photograph white belugas. I've gone to Alaska to try and photograph orcas. Um, I just... You know, whales are so fascinating to me. They're such amazing animals um, and also birds. Uh, So if I find somewhere where there's supposed to be an interesting, rare type of bird, um, I'll get in the car and I'll go. Uh, More recently, since I'm now about eight, ten hours from the ocean where I am now, um, I focus more on the unique wildlife. you know, the cougar, lynx, uh, of course, all over the northern states, the moose, uh, stuff like that. But then I've now really gotten gotten into um, night photography. And I've done a lot with the Milky Way, uh, the Aurora Borealis. We have been blessed to have, I would say, five, six times a year up here. Um, so I'm very much into that with apps and getting alerts and things like that. And then most recently, the bioluminescent algae and noctilucent clouds. And I'm not even sure if that's how you say that. Um, but any any interesting phenomenon, I, I really, I want to capture it. In it. And it's about sharing it with people and hopefully inspiring them to get out um, and see it themselves. The, the bioluminous algae, what's that? Tell us about it. What makes it unique and making you want to photo- photograph it? Well, basically what happens is, and, and I I don't understand all the science behind it. Some people say it's plankton. Some people say it's algae. I don't know if it's algae on the plankton. <laughs> I have no clue. Uh, but what happens is when the water is agitated um, where, where they are, they will glow. And in Puerto Rico, off the island of Vieques, there um, is a bioluminescent bay. Uh, And if I recall correctly, that was greenish. Um, I went last summer to the coast of Oregon and photographed it there. But basically, the waves look like they glow. They just glow as they're coming in. And it is, it's like watching Mother Nature do magic. It's just, it's breathtaking. And I I can't, if if anybody is on the coast of Washington or Oregon, right, you know, in the months of July and August, I cannot stress enough to go to pull out, go to a pullout along the side of the road, let your eyes adjust and look at the water and just unbelievable. It's amazing. You don't need to go out on a boat out into the ocean. It sounds like you could just... Go down onto the beach or the side of the road. And like yeah. you said, take some time to let your vision adjust and 
and and take that in and enjoy it. That's that's pretty cool. Oh, it's just it's I never even heard of it. Well, I I'd been to Vieques in in 1999 and I took a cruise out onto the bay and and it, it is very very shallow and you have to agitate the water um, to get them to to glow. But here because of the action of the waves, um, it, they just glow on their own. So it's it's incredibly magical. I, I'm looking forward to getting back out there and doing it again, <laughs> even though I literally just got back Saturday night <laughs> from being out there. Yeah. yeah. Christopher told me to ask you about the bioluminous algae. So just letting you know, that was, that was one of my, that was something, that was a note I had written down. So I said, all right, we got to talk about, all right, we're, we're there. Yeah. Let's talk about this. Cause he's amazed by it. And he was telling it, me. It is, it is amazing. And I've posted, um, I posted on my Facebook page a bunch of photos and there is actually a bioluminescent um, I think Pacific Northwest Facebook group, which um, people will be like, Hey, I saw it here. So people know where to go to find it. Mm-hmm. Now you said you, ph- you photograph some wildlife, cougars, moose, etc. They're yeah. very elusive animals, right? They're, they're not, you're not going to just, walk into the woods and find one of them and they're going to stand there saying, Hey, here I am. Take a picture of me. How do you go about that? Cause that to me, that is, I think that is so cool. I I, I mean, a a skill I've, I want to start working on is, is photography. And when I see people taking these really cool pictures of these elusive animals, like how are they doing that? How are they getting that picture? So I mean, is there, is there a technique you use to, to be able to capture a moment or to, do do you go out and set up somewhere and wait for something to come along? Uh, Actually, um, my best friend's son, Garrett Heiss, he is just, he's amazing. He will get, he bought a floating blind. Um, and so he will get out there on the water when it's still dark and he will be ready for those animals and he will get them at eye level on the water. Um, I don't do that. <laughs> he's amazing. I don't do that. Um, I moved to the wilderness um, for a few years because I wanted, you know, I wanted to be amongst them. And so I definitely had an advantage there. Excuse me. They would come into my yard. Uh, So I was very fortunate that I was able to do that. And that was where I saw the most of them. I even saw Canada lynx, which uh, a lot of people didn't want to think that we actually had those. Um, but, but I, I got it and she was just utterly gorgeous. Uh, but for, for other animals, um, now that I'm not living up in the wilderness on the mountain anymore, when I travel, I will just research, like I, I'm, I'm kind of a dork. I do spreadsheets and I have a big whiteboard and I'll, you know, I'll research, like when I went to Banff and Jasper back in 2015, I will look at what wildlife is in what areas based on what people have seen. And then I will rank them by how much wildlife, which wildlife, and how accessible they are. And that's how I will choose where I go. Um, Of course, it doesn't guarantee I will see something, but I figure my odds are much better uh, if I I go where there have been a lot of reports. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's, that's interesting. It's pretty cool. Yeah, Cause I just, I know in 2018, while I was in Vermont and hiking on the long trail, there were a group of us in a lean to that was right on a pond 
and we were like, wow, this is the place where we're going to finally see a moose, right? This is, this is the perfect setting. It's a pond. We saw some moose droppings in different areas. So we got up at five in the morning. The sun was coming up and we're like, okay, everybody's quiet. We didn't see a thing. (laughs) (laughs) What a disappointment. But yeah, I guess, especially with technology, right? You could be on top of where these sightings are, right? If there's a population of them in a, in a concentrated area and you could get there and set up and say, all right, now, now might be that day I can get that picture I want. That's pretty cool. Yeah, no, it's definitely, it's definitely fun. And, and, you know, that's the thing with, um, I somehow ended up being like the official Sasquatching reporter of the area here. And I don't know if nobody else wanted the beat. And one day my boss just said, Hey, can you go cover this Sasquatch stuff? And next thing I know, I'm going out on an expedition with the guys, (laughs) but, but you know, it's like you get out to where the wildlife is Mm -hmm. and you know, it's, it's a good excuse to get outside. I mean, shouldn't need an excuse, but it's a good excuse and you're going to be out there in the wilderness and, it's, you know, that's where you're going to see the wildlife. And if Sasquatch is out there, you know, maybe you'll see him too. I have not. I've been on a, a few expeditions and a couple of things have happened that are unexplainable. Um, but I haven't actually seen any kind of furry dude out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just interviewed my friends from 603 Bigfoot. And you're from the Northeast. You're from Massachusetts. They focus on bigfoot sightings in new hampshire that's cool yeah and it was very interesting the work they're doing up there uh so yeah that's a they have a website www603bigfoot.com that is worth checking out and listen to that you know everybody listen to this make sure you go check out that episode because that was a that was a fun episode and very informative yeah I'd, i'd love to know more about where they you know where they're concentrating because it i think it's so hard to know. It's like, how do you know there isn't one, but how do you know there is one? And you can only judge by what you experience yourself. Um, But it would be interesting. Like there's one guy here. um, He runs Bigfoot of Stevens County. Uh, His name is Will Almer. And he is so incredibly scientific. He is a skeptic. um, And so he is very meticulous and he, um, gathers information on sightings and experiences, and then he tracks it. And he was able to determine that the Sasquatch sightings uh, occurred with the deer migration. So I thought that was fascinating detective work on his part. So it'd be interesting to see if that's the case in other places as well. Yeah, because I've, also interviewed and been interviewed by a, a fellow podcaster because goes by the name Bigfoot Backpacker. And uh, yeah, he's, he's talked about, you know, the, the, the gathering, the information, what we're finding. And now you're telling the story about somebody's actually now seeing a pattern of the sightings with the deer migration. And that's the kind of information that maybe you'll be able to prove this someday, because I look at it this way. I'm not saying there is no Bigfoot because I've hiked in areas where I'm told there's rattlesnakes, for example. I have never seen a rattlesnake in that area, but I'm told they're there. Would I go walking around through those woods as if there were no rattlesnakes? No, I wouldn't. I don't need to see one 
to know they're there. Um, so that's why I think, okay, you know, it's, it is, ver- it's possible that Bigfoot is out there. Maybe even I'll go as far as saying likely it, with all the sightings that people have had and mm. some evidence that has turned up. Well, interestingly, um, and now I cannot remember his name. Oh, it was, it was Russell Accord. He gave a presentation uh, last month at the first annual Medellin Falls Bigfoot Festival. And he was talking about, and I can't remember the guy's name, but it was, um, I think it was in Concord, Massachusetts, where a man disappeared. And I think he lived in the woods for like almost a decade or something. Literally would go into people's houses when they left, steal their food and go back. And he was living under tarps and he even had a television. And nobody ever saw him. And he was literally like half a mile from where people lived. Wow. And all that time. And the cops finally got him. And I I, I was covering the event. So I couldn't sit and listen to his whole presentation. But it was, it was like, he's like, how can Bigfoot be out there and no one sees him? Well, how could that guy be in the woods and no one saw him for all that time? Yep. And it goes back to what I said. We know there's critters in the woods, right? Yep. Rather reptiles, mammals, etc., that we don't see, but we know they're there. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and and it's possible that this creature is just so elusive that you know nobody has been able to maybe get that photo that says here it is. But it, you know, with the way technology is developing. We might see it in our lifetime. Yeah, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. There's, there's so many different schools of thought. Like there's the people who believe that Sasquatch travels via different dimensions. There are some who believe they travel on spaceships. Um, then there's also the people who believe that they're descended from apes. There's people who believe they're Gigantropithecus, can hardly say that. Uh, it's just, it's it's really, really interesting. So I, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, because I, you know, when I, I first interviewed someone regarding Bigfoot, um, my producer, who's also my wife, <laughs> she, uh, she says, well, you know, what does that have to do with the outdoors? And I said, everything. Yeah. I said, you know, there are so many people that are, you know, it's, it's an interest, a growing interest that there are people that are going out into the woods just looking for evidence of Bigfoot. Um, so yeah, it's it's a it's an outdoor activity, and if it's drawing people to the outdoors, I want to talk about it. I want my listeners to hear about it. Oh, it's a it's a great excuse to get outside and yeah. and go camping, you know, yeah. and, and just be out there. Yeah, yeah. So, Kat, what's in the future for you? What do you have coming up? Oh, well, I'm working on those two Sasquatch books. I have um, a postcards from Mr. Push book, uh, Arizona edition and a Washington State edition. Um, I'm also working on a children's book about um, basically kind of how to be a nice person. Um, I met... um, through my, through my work um, covering school sports, I, I met a young man, his name is Caden Kraus, and he was our three-time um, wrestling state champion here and most popular kid in school. And 
just everything that I would have hated when I was a kid because, you know, all the popular kids and I wasn't popular. And and so being around Caden just made me realize, you know, sometimes the popular kids are popular because they're awesome people. And so he basically inspired um, me to write a book about that and, and, you know, how kids shouldn't assume that the popular kid is a jerk and, and to watch, to watch the popular kid and see why he's popular. And if he's doing nice things, maybe you should do them too. So <laughs> right, it's quite possible that person is popular because they're just nice to people. Exactly. Because they treat people decently. Exactly. And, and Caden's just an amazing person. And, uh, I just, I'm really proud of everything he's accomplished and he's, he's just a great guy. That's a great story. Um, that's, uh, and great that you're sharing that with people. So Kat, how do we find you? Um, well, I am on Facebook at author KS Brooks. Um, also there on Instagram and Twitter, but I'm mostly active on Facebook and Instagram. I have a website that's ksbrooks.com. Uh, and Mr. Pish has his own website that is mrpish.com. That's M-R-P-I-S-H.com. Um, I'm kind of all over the place. Okay. Well, you know, we're going to have links to all this in the description as well as on our website at papabearhikes.com. Uh, Kat, uh, K.S. Brooks, you've been listening to here. Kat, thank you for uh, being so generous with your time and coming on Papa Bear Hikes podcast to Aww, share your experiences you. with us. Thank you, Papa Bear. I appreciate the invitation. All righty. Okay, everybody, just giving a reminder here. Come and join the 46 Climbs Challenge here. Help us with our, well, we're out there trying to stomp out suicide. This is for suicide prevention and awareness. Uh, Come join the Papa Bear Hikes team. Go to the website. There's a link up at the top. I just got my shirt in today. It's a really nice sport tee. High quality. Really nice. Uh, And I got a bandana. The first 1,200 people that sign up get a nice bandana. And again, be part of our team for this really important cause. It'll be taking place September 3rd through the 12th. You go on the website, sign up for the team. If you don't see a hike available in the area you live in, find one. Make one. Put it on the website. They'll put it on there for you. All right, everybody, get out there. Hey, and be safe. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please feel free to leave a review. If you found it helpful or useful or just entertaining, let us know. We can be contacted at papabearhikes at gmail.com or check us out at papabearhikes01 on Instagram. Thanks for listening. Get outside and have a great day. This episode of Pop Bear Hikes has been brought to you by Avalon Publicity. Avalon Publicity, increasing the digital footprint of content creators and skilled professionals via website development and social media services. For more information about Avalon Publicity, go to their website, avalonbusiness.org. That's avalonbusiness.org.